0: all right. I thank God for you guys. Uh, I love you. And you know, I found something about my life. Uh, during this lengthy uh, COVID uh, season, uh, I was received the second vaccine oh, back in February. And since, I mean, before then, I'd meet people in Walmart or a drugstore, and they would say, Pastor, can I have a hug? And I'm like, from 10 feet away, You stand over there, I'll pray for you. (laughs) I would go down an aisle in Walmart, and if there was more than a few people, I would turn and go the other way. But after that second shot of vaccine, oh my gosh, and I don't know what your political feelings are about vaccines. It doesn't matter. For me, I'm like set free. If people want to hug, I hug them. If they want to shake hands, I shake hands with them. I don't run around Walmart now trying to avoid people. I ram my cart into them. But it just shows me what my trust in Jesus does. In fact, every night when Debbie and I pray, we thank God for the protection he's granted our family. Thank God for the vaccine. That's how we feel. You can feel however you want. But I say, our trust is in you, Lord. My eyes are on you, and if I can trust that you died for my sins, if I can trust that you are raised from the dead, if I can trust that you are at the right hand of God, praying for me right now, I can live with freedom, I can live with confidence, I can live with abandon because of what Jesus has done for me. Jesus is greater, and if you are with us for the first time, man, we're delighted to have you, and you've caught us in the middle of a teaching series called Jesus is greater. And we hear that phrase, and it makes us think, makes us hope, even pray, this is awesome. Jesus is greater. That means Jesus is greater than the pain in my marriage. Jesus is greater than my parenting difficulties. Jesus is greater than my financial struggles. Jesus is greater than my health concerns, my mental health issues. Jesus is greater. But I'll be real with you, all that is just surfacey stuff. It is not the real deal about what it means for Jesus to be greater. You see, you can have a great financial portfolio. You can have rock-solid relationships. You can have good health. You can have good emotional well-being and still die in your sins and face a hellish, Christless eternity. So we want to go beneath the surface. We want something, a substance that we can wrap our arms, our hearts, our minds around and hold on, anchors us in every storm. You see, I want to take you deeper into a truth that is better than the best relationship, better than the best financial position, better than the best kind of physical or emotional well-being. I want to take you into the reality that Jesus is greater than our sin, Because, you see, it's our sin that cripples our marriage, that challenges our parenting, that can put us in a bad financial situation, that disrupts our health and our emotional well-being. We want a Jesus who is greater than our sin, so all those other issues that are on the surface begin to work together for our good. Let me just give you the Word of God. This is how we'll start. Scripture says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, in a relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice the contrast the author draws between sin and God. They are both masters. And you can serve sin with your life, or you can serve God with your life. Let's look at the text from a different angle. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, now the contrast is between wages and the free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in a relationship with Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages, that's what you receive, that's what you deserve for what you've done. You think sin, you say sin, you do sin, and you're going to get what you deserve, death. But God gives a free gift. A free gift has nothing to do with what you do or who you are. The free gifts of God are all about who He is and how He loves and how generous He longs to be in your life. One more angle on this text. Oh, let me just tell you this. When sin is your master, it pays wages. It pays death. You get what you deserve. But when God is your master, He gives free gifts. He gives you mercy. Mercy is being protected for what you deserve from what you've done. He gives you grace. Grace is His good gift that you don't deserve. He gives you superabounding joy, superabounding peace, superabounding grace, love, mercy, on and on and on. Okay, here's the last angle on this text The wages of sin is death. Now, the contrast is between death and eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In a real relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord, when you surrender to Jesus, when you believe he is God who died for your sins and God raised from the dead, you are given on the basis of your surrender to that reality, you are given eternal life. Jesus calls it super abundant life for right now, super abundant joy, hope, peace and love and eternal life. Do you know what heaven looks like? Heaven is a perfect earth without flaw, no brokenness in which you get to do what you love best. What do you love to do best? What do you love to do best? Right, me and you, we love to watch the Cubs win. Didn't happen yesterday. But you get to do what you love best with those you love most. All in the presence of Jesus forever. That's eternal life. And it starts right now with super abundant life. Now our struggle is that heaven with that perfect heaven and perfect earth, doing what you love best with those you love most on the presence of Jesus, it's a perfect place reigned by a perfect God and only perfect people get to go there. Now I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. So how do we get into heaven? Because you see, Everyone you me everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard by our sin. So what's the remedy in fact some of you are feeling like hey David what's the good of having a Jesus if he is if he's not going to relieve my pain and fix my problems. Well I want to take you into a Jesus story I want to take you back in time to Jerusalem in 30-ish A.D. And it is early, early, early in the morning. The Word of God tells it this way. At dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now, this had to be a staggering, stunning sight Jesus entering the eastern gate of the temple just as the sun was cresting the Mount of Olives behind him. And so as Jesus enters, there he stands in the brilliance of the rising sun. This is God coming into his own house to proclaim his word at the very break of day. Now the people back then, they didn't know Jesus was God. They just knew that when he opened his word, when he taught his word, oh my gosh, it was incredible. It was beyond amazing. And when he taught, it was with this absolute authority. They reveled in it. And so when Jesus comes into the temple, I mean, it's packed with people in the early part of the day because that's a good time of day in Israel. Under uh, under the noonday sun, it would be blistering hot. So they're all there. And they gather around Jesus in this large crowd. And as teachers did in that day, he sat down. That was the signal. He's going to teach. And so they stand around him, packing the place. But he hardly gets started in his teaching when there is this ugly, angry, uproar disrupting everything. And his people turn around, kind of irritated to see what's causing the commotion and the chaos Their mouths drop open. They are shocked to see a woman scantily clad, struggling for all she's worth, being held in the strong grip of a bunch of bitter, angry, arrogant men. And they just drag her right to the front of the crowd and deposit her in the presence of Jesus. Here's how the Bible tells it. As he, Jesus, was speaking, the, the teachers of religious law, it's like a bunch of religious lawyers, and the Pharisees are like religious politicians. They brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, can you put yourself in her situation? In my imagination, I see her as clutching a bedsheet, trying to Cover her body, that those dark-hearted, ugly men, when they kicked in the door of her bedroom and grabbed her forcibly and drug her out of her bed, the only thing that she could grab to cover herself was this bed sheet. And now she she can't cover her shame. It's like she is suffocating in her humiliation. She can't look up. She feels like she's going to throw up. It's like all the air has been sucked out of the temple. And she feels more than hears the acid of their accusation. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, and they held up their big old rocks, jagged, the law of Moses says that we should stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. You see, they don't see this woman as a person. They see her as a thing, just a pitiful pawn to be wasted in the war against Jesus. And so they level an accusation. Now, she is guilty was caught in the act. But they are just as guilty. She's guilty by her actions. They are guilty of sin by their attitude. And we are one or the other. We are either the woman sinful by our actions, or we are the religious lawyers and politicians sinful by our attitudes. They feel like they can accuse her They feel like they can judge her. They feel like they can condemn her to death. And it's just a ploy to accuse Jesus, to judge Jesus, to condemn Jesus to death. If you ever feel tempted to accuse someone, to judge someone who looks different than you, to condemn someone who has a different lifestyle than you, You are just playing the devil's game because the devil is the great accuser. Book of Revelation describes him, the devil, as the one who stood before our God and accuses believers day and night. That's all he does is say bad things about us and about me. Really, to tell you the truth, he just got to tell the truth. He didn't have to make up stuff about David's sin. That's just it. But if you, I mean, when Jesus died on the cross for you, he took all God's condemnation, do you for your sin? He took it on himself. Jesus, when he died on the cross for you, he took all God's judgment, do you for your sin? He took it on himself. He took all God's uh, uh, accusations, do you for your sin? Jesus took it all on himself. So you will not be accused. You will not be condemned. You will not be judged. Now, As we clap, there must be a commitment within us. How dare we ever accuse anyone else? How dare we ever judge anyone else? How dare we ever condemn anyone else? If Jesus has removed all accusation, condemnation, and judgment from us, because we know how it feels when we sin. The psalmist said it for us, said it best. I am so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I've done it again. I, I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you. You saw it all against you and you above all have I sinned. That's David. His cry after committing adultery and murder. That's this David. David. After my sin, that's you after your sin. God, you saw it all. And so this woman, she feels like she knows what's coming. She can see it in their sanctimonious smirks and the rocks that are being gripped tightly in their hands. They want to execute her. She's seen it happen before. All they're waiting for is a word from Jesus. But she's seen people stoned, not recreationally. She has seen the victim with hands bound behind their back. She has seen the victim dragged to the edge of a ledge with a steep drop-off. She's seen them forced to their knees. She's seen them kick backwards off the cliff. And then stone after stone after stone is hurled, hitting them, hurting them until they are dead. And there's the pain of the stones, but there's the pain of the hatred. There's the pain of the accusation. There's the pain of the judgment. There's the pain of the condemnation that they feel until they die. She thinks that's what's coming for her. And the religious politicians and lawyers, they think they've got Jesus caught between a rock and a hard place. And that's when Jesus does something no one saw coming. Jesus goes down into the the dirt, takes his finger and begins to write in the dirt. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote, but after all the years, all the times I've studied over this text, this is what I've come to. I think David thinks that Jesus wrote down the names of the men. He would see a guy's face, write down his name, This guy, write down his name. That guy, write down his name. He wrote down all their names. But they won't let up on him. They won't stop badgering him. They won't stop coming. What do you say about this? What do you say about this? Scripture says, when they kept on questioning him, He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you, I've got listed right here, here's your names, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stoops down. And this time, this is me, this time I think, he writes by each name, that man, he doesn't look at his face, he looks in his heart, in his heart, and he writes down that man's sin. Next guy, that man's sin. Next guy, that man's sin. That guy, next guy's sin. And then he writes the name of the woman. And he writes her sin. And then Jesus does the most astonishing thing. He takes his hands and wipes out all the sin. Now, I think, I think that he's trying to reach out with his love and forgiveness. To save these men who were so steeped in sin by their religion and their attitude, their judgment, and their condemnation of others. I think he's trying to save them. But as he writes the last sin by the last man, in that tense silence, the only thing that can be heard is the thumping of rocks as they are dropped to the ground. And though Jesus wants to save them, and though He wants them to see, see, your sins are all forgiven. Your sins are all erased. Everything. You're there. Your name's there, but your sins are gone. I can be your Savior. I can be your hope. They all turn their heels and walk away from Jesus. Scripture says they all walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. I I think Jesus, you know, he's still down there, and his heart is broken because he was hoping that, that maybe one would stay, that maybe one would change, that one would feel the loving kindness of God, that one would accept the forgiveness of God, but they all, they've all gone. But one, the woman, the woman who stayed. I mean, they were sinful by their attitude. She was sinful by her actions, but she stayed. Because at the bottom of the list, he wrote her name. He wrote her sin. He erased her sin. She stays. You see, that's our Jesus. He's not into condemning people. He is all about saving people. Saving me, saving you, the word of God says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save David, to save you guys, to save everyone through him, through a real relationship with him so that when we come into a real relationship with Jesus, believing he is God who died for our sins and rose from the dead, all our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, no matter how many, no matter how ugly, they are all swept away by his mercy and grace. So the woman, she's still there. Her face is still red. She's still in a sweat. She's still trying to cover herself with that bedsheet. She's got her eyes on the dirt for her name, but no sin. Tears are dripping down her cheeks. Jesus stood and said to her, Hey, where are your accusers? Don't didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. And I think with the force of that word, go, she went. And as best and modestly she could, she clutches that bedsheet around her and gets away from those shocked faces and open mouths and staring eyes. She goes away humbled. She goes away relieved. She goes away forgiven by the only one who can erase our sin. But what if, what if this is not the end of the story? What if as she walks away, it's our turn? We're next in line. We, you and I, we stand up to Jesus. He sees our face. He looks into our heart and He writes my name in the dirt. And He writes your name in the dirt. And He looks into my heart and He writes my sin by my name. And He looks into your heart and He writes your sin by your name. And this time He doesn't get His hands dirty. By wiping away the sin, this time he gets his hands bloody. For as we watch in horror and humiliation that our sin has been made known, that he knows, he knows me, he knows what I've said, he knows what I've done, he knows how I felt, he knows how I thought, he knows my sin. As we see our sin, we watch it being obliterated by great drops of blood that our sin, all of our sin, is covered by the blood of Christ. Oh my gosh, our sin is gone. Oh my gosh, we are forgiven. Oh my gosh, we are cleansed. Oh my gosh, we are saved. And when we look up and see Jesus, we see Him dying on the cross in our place for our sin. And he, His blood It's pouring out. The soldier shoves the sword up under his ribs and into his heart, and out comes blood and water, blood to forgive us, blood to cleanse us. And as we stand there before the cross, I mean, we are more naked than that woman was. That's what Scripture says. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The day is coming Lord Jesus, hasten the day when we will stand before God, and Satan will shout out accusation and condemnation and judgment, breathing out with his ugly, evil spittle our names. And the Lord Jesus will take His stand in our place as our advocate and show the Father His nail-pierced hands. I died for their sins. I cleansed them of guilt and shame. They are forgiven forever. You see, by his death, Jesus cleanses away all your sin. If you believe that he is God and he died in your place, taking your punishment, your penalty, even the consequences of your sin, you are cleansed of all sin. And with your sin, all guilt and shame. Look at the word of God. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But there's more. By his death, Jesus purchased your peace with God. Every time you see the word redeemed in the Bible, it means that he paid the price with his blood to bring you back to God. The book of Isaiah chapter 54 says that when his body was torn in half, it was a permanent promise of God that you would always have peace and be at peace with him. Scripture says Christ's death on the cross has made peace with God in spite of our sin, the amount of it, the ugliness of it, for all, for all, for all by his blood but there's more. By his death, Jesus wins your freedom. He wins freedom from sin. He wins freedom to feel joy, freedom to have hope, freedom to love, freedom to be loved. The freedom of his grace, the freedom to swim in his mercy. The, the freedom to be touched by His loving kindness. The Word of God says, by the blood of Christ we are set free. How great is the grace of God, greater than the ugliest part of our sin, greater than the darkest part of our character, greater than anything with thought, said, or done wrong. Greater is God's grace in all our sin. But here's the best good news ever. Jesus bled until he died, but he didn't stay dead on the third day, on Sunday morning, early, early, early in the morning as the sun is coming up over the Mount of Olives. He is risen from the dead, conqueror of hell, death, sin, and the grave. Scripture says this, by his victory over death, Jesus is our victory over sin. We win. We win. I've failed. I have floundered. I've sinned. You have failed, you are flawed, you have floundered, you have sinned, but Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our victory. He is proclaimed and announced in the book of Revelation. It climaxes with these words, Jesus faithfully reveals all truth to us. He's telling us the truth about ourselves. He's telling us the truth about himself. He's telling us the truth about God. He's telling us the truth about the Holy Spirit. He's telling us about the truth about heaven. He's telling us, revealing to us the truth about superabundant life right now. Jesus faithfully reveals all truth to us. He was the first to rise from death, to die no more. Jesus is far greater than any king or all the kings of the earth. All oh, praise to him who always loves us. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet his unfailing love for us will not be shaken. He sets us free, free from our sins, by pouring out his lifeblood for us. He bled for you. His blood covers my sin. His blood cleanses us of all guilt and shame. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.